welcome to the Community Hope Podcast. We exist to share hope with more people in more places. For more information on this podcast or our church, please visit communityhope.org. Now stay tuned for our Sermon of the Week. Well, I'm excited for round two tonight. Jamie and I got to hang out today and eat some Mexican food and just talk about the goodness of God. And so I'm excited to hear the word that God's given Jamie tonight. So would you welcome Jamie to the stage again? Good evening. How's everyone doing tonight? Anybody get a nap in? Those things are dangerous, aren't they? They will uh, sometimes be, we're worse off after we wake up. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wake up and I'm like, why did I just do that to myself? But uh, turning your Bible with me, I, uh, to the book of Matthew, I want to preach to you a message called, Who Do You Say That I Am? It's where our, our text is going to be found in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And then we're going to slide over in just a few moments to Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says this, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. But who do you say that I am, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and, not the, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he, then he ordered his disciples to not tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Father, I ask for the next few moments that you lend me your voice. God, your beloved do not need my opinion or my advice, but what they need is for you to speak. So, Lord, I pray for clarity, I pray for unction, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come into this room and consume every single one of us tonight. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. I don't know about you, I'm, I'm pretty good at keeping secrets. My bride, on the other hand, is terrible. She's terrible. She will... She'll buy me a Christmas present or a birthday present, Pastor Brad. And, and like, she'll buy it. She, I've told her to stop buying it in advance because she'll ask me this question, do you, do you want to know what I got you? And I don't know about you. I like surprises. Like, I, I, I just, I, there's, there's very few things in, that surprise me. And, and I like gifts. I like, like surprises. And so I usually will say no, and that hurts her feelings. And she'll say, well, why don't you want to know? And I'm like, I, I just want to wait. And she's like, she'll, she'll may drop it at that moment, but then she will say, well, just take a guess. And I'm like, I don't want to guess. And again, it hurts her feelings. I've learned after 24, this February will be 25 years of marriage, 
that you don't just say that. I say now, what did you get me? I'll, I'll say, an elephant. I, I don't know. I'll take guesses. But she, for her, it's hard to keep a secret. Can you imagine Jesus telling his disciples, you have information about me that very few people on the face of the earth have. And I want you to keep it quiet, right? How many of you would have told somebody, like, Jesus is the Son of God, right? He's the Messiah. Jesus tells them, do not tell. He ordered them, do not tell anyone. And I, I can't find it in Scripture, even though Judas, right, Judas betrayed Jesus and Peter denied Jesus. They still didn't tell anyone. That's, that's hard to believe. But they kept that secret. But I, I wonder at that moment if they didn't ask themselves, why aren't we supposed to say anything? Why are we supposed to keep this a secret? It would, is, is, if, if it's true, then we should be telling everybody because there's people. I can imagine them going by the wailing wall where people were crying out by the hundreds and thousands, crying out for the Messiah, and, and Peter going, it's right here. Hey, I can't imagine that. I mean, this is crucial information. But they kept it a secret. See, Ever since, and we kind of talked about it today, ever since Jesus stepped foot on this earth, people have tried to figure out who he was. People have tried to figure out his identity. See, some said, Emmanuel, God with us. Others said he was a liar, that he was, he was, a, he was deception. All had an opinion of his identity. See, we find our text in the gospel according to Matthew. And Matthew is considered one of the synoptic gospels, which includes Mark and, and Luke. Synoptic literally means point of view or same view. The synoptic gospels include many of the same events, but were unique in their purpose. Luke presents Jesus from the viewpoint of his humanity. Mark presents Jesus from the viewpoint of of a servant. But Matthew's assignment was to present him from the viewpoint as a king. What's crazy about this whole thing is they had the same view, they had the same encounters, they had this about the same Jesus, but from different perspectives, which led to different details, different focuses, and different insight, but ultimately the same result and same outcome occurred. A lot of people, if you were to ask eyewitnesses, the reason they gather so many details or ask so many eyewitnesses of people that have experienced something is because each one of them is going to highlight on something different. They may describe the same story, but I don't know if you've ever heard, my, my bride will look at me sometimes, and, and I'll, I'll be telling a story, and she'll look at me, and she'll be like, that's not the way it happened. And I'm like, that's the way it happened to me, right? So the example is the other day we went to Starbucks. We're standing at Starbucks, and, and my bride is ordering, very simple. We're standing in front of the counter. My bride orders a 
blonde, white chocolate mocha, right? It doesn't seem hard. It says, I'll have a grande, white, or blonde, white chocolate mocha. The lady looked at her and went, you want a latte or a flat white? My bride looks at her and says, no, I want a blonde, white chocolate mocha. And the lady turned her head and then looked at me and says, I don't understand what you're saying. You're saying weird things. And my bride's Spanish and Indian. And so she like, you could see. She's been scalping me one hair at a time. Okay, I'm just saying. I could see her. Her light brown skin was turning red. And I looked at her and I had to intervene. And I said, what's weird? And she goes, well, does she want a flat, a flat white or a latte? I said, she wants a blonde white chocolate mocha. And I could see my bride was frustrated. And she goes, but that's not all I want. And the lady goes, oh, you want a blonde white chocolate mocha? And she looked and she goes, I just said that twice. She goes, no, you were saying weird things. Now, I didn't hear weird. She didn't sound, something out of the context was coming out weird, right? I don't know where it came from. But my bride looked at me and she goes, was I saying anything weird? I said, no. I said, but maybe it's how you were saying it. She goes, how did I say it? I said, I don't know. Differently than I said it. Can I tell you, I can tell the same exact story or we can be saying the same thing, but sometimes people hear different things, right? The ultimate thing is she, she doesn't have an accent. She didn't talk fast. She said the same thing, but somehow this lady was not picking up what she was putting down. Can I tell you, on a regular basis... You can hear someone say something and ignore it or just it's you're unmoved and then somebody else say something and all of a sudden it captures you, right? Can I tell you that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John not being one of the synoptics, but he is part of the Gospels, they're all telling very similar stories, but they're saying it from different points of view. And so therefore, they're bringing out greater details in the midst of it, right? And so when it comes to this, to try to describe and understand who Jesus is, can I tell you, he, he can be one thing to me. And I can tell you how I encounter Jesus and then Pastor Brad can come and then you have somebody else. Like my bride, when she talks to women, people just get it. I mean, girls, just ladies, get it. My daughter can talk to teenagers and they get it. And some reason, it's just like, why didn't they understand when I said that? I don't understand how it works, but I do know this. Jesus lined them up and he said, I want you to tell this story. They were, they were inspired to tell this story of who Jesus is. And they were coming through different encounters. So when I encountered Jesus, my life was so affected and changed, but it was altered in a different way than maybe somebody else that has an encounter with Jesus. I want you to get a hold of this. Some people, when they give their life to Jesus, become very calm. That wasn't me. Some people, 
I was, here's the crazy thing. I was a very a loud person before. Now, I don't, I'm not going to get into my, 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 the details of my story, but I was a drug dealer. I was making $1,000 a week at the age of 11 years old, okay? And I grew up in one of the richest neighborhoods, very successful family. Mom and dad were married. I mean, it was just, it was, that's where I came from. I was not a public person. I was always wanting to be in the shadows. If I got up to speak, I started stuttering, stuttering terribly. I got nervous, right? People will come up and they'll say, oh my gosh, I, you, I love when you get ready to speak. You don't understand the torment that I go through before I speak. See, you guys sit there, I'm like walking around. That's because I don't get butterflies. I got a flock of stinking geese in my stomach. I'm like, oh God, you better do something. I'm going to throw up. God help me. I get extremely nervous. I've spoken thousands and thousands of times, but I still get nervous. I wouldn't have chose this lifestyle, but God chose this lifestyle, and out of my obedience to him, I'm just being obedient, and I've got to tell this story. And some people will look at me and say, well, man, he's loud, and he's, he's obnoxious. The reality of it is, is it's different for me. I heard an old-timer once say this, and we're going to get into this word. An old-timer, old preacher once told me, he said, the way that you get saved is the way you'll minister. It was radical. It was radical. But here's these synoptic gospels, okay? Let me just kind of get into this a little bit. Each through their own profession. They're all different personalities. They all are different characters. And each one through their own personality, profession, and personal encounter, see Jesus similar but different. How we see Jesus will determine by who, uh, how we see Jesus will be determined by who we were before we met Him, what happened when we met Him, where we were when we met Him, and how we responded to Him. Let me say it again. How we see Jesus... Who he becomes to us is determined by who we were before we met him. What happened when we did meet him? Where we were when we met him? And how we responded to him? Here's what I mean. If I was to walk up to the woman that had been healed with the issue of bleeding... Can I tell you, her, her story would be pretty radical. But what's so crazy is in that circle, when that encountered, there was about 7,500 people, but only one woman walked away from that day completely transformed. Can I tell you that when a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus was screaming out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, there was a procession of about 2,000 people that were walking on the, on the streets outside of the city of Jericho. And one blind man cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And one blind man saw how many others. Now, you have to understand, on the side of this road, it was littered with sick people. But yet, only one person was healed. Can I tell you that... Out of 10 lepers that came to Jesus, watch this, 10 lepers that come to Jesus, he sends them away. All 10 of them were purified and clean because that's what he said, right? But one came back 
And he thanked God, and because he thanked God, and he came back for more, Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you Can I tell you that there's a difference between just getting purified and being made whole? Now, here's, what, here's, here's the way I like to, I'm a very visual person. When I grow up, I want to be like a crime scene investigator. I want to find, so when I go into the scriptures, I try to find the fingerprints. I try to see the things that no one else sees, right? So here, here's what it, what it looks like to me. Ten of them had leprosy. Leprosy causes these great big sores all over your body. It, it begins to centralize on your face. It centralizes on your hands and it centralizes on your feet. Okay? And so therefore, it breaks down the nervous system. It begins to de deteriorate and erode the skin tissue so much so that a finger can fall off, a toe can fall off, your ear can fall off, your nose can fall off, part of your face falls off, right? And so these 10 men came up to Jesus and they were probably missing elements of their body. They, were, they had a bunch of, of, of open sores and they go to present themselves and as they're going, all of a sudden their sores are no more. But they have scars. They still have missing fingers. One of them comes back to Jesus and says, listen, my leprosy is gone. And Jesus says, go your way. And he turns around and he looks down and all of a sudden he's like, my finger's back. Like, looked in the mirror and all of a sudden there's no more scars that's being made whole something that was missing is not missing anymore it's back it's been returned it's been redeemed for you does that make sense so I need you to understand that there is so much more to Jesus. Jesus didn't come to just forgive you of your sins. He didn't come to just to forgive you and to purify you and to cleanse you. He came to restore you back unto wholeness. He came to give you back what the enemy has tried to steal. You need to understand that. That's not a name it and claim it. That's not a, that's not a prosperity thing. That is a biblical truth. I'm not a name it and claim it type person. I'm a shout it, grab it, and run as fast as you can, okay? But Jesus, can you imagine the stories that would come out of these people's mouths, right? I mean, Mary, Mary Magdalene was one of them. I mean, she was radical. Now, I have to tell you a little bit about my conversion. It was on a Sunday night, the first Sunday night, and I love, I adore Sunday nights, and I am so grateful that we're here tonight, because I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for Sunday night and there was a church service, because I got radically saved. Now, I walked in on the first Sunday night of November in 1996. I was completely lost. I mean lost. I still went to church, but I was lost, okay? I went to church. I got radically saved. I, I, don't, I don't remember a song that was sung. My preacher, my pastor was still preaching when, when I stood up and went to the altar call. So it wasn't an invitation that I answered. I went forward before he had even given an, it was probably 10 minutes into his sermon. I went to the altar. I rededicated my life. I renewed my vows. I got up and something occurred. I went home and I had this idea. I've got to get rid of some things that are in my house. I had this concept like, there's some alcohol I got to get rid of. There's some drugs I got to get rid of. There's pornography I got to get rid of. There's some things I got to clean up in my house. I didn't talk to a preacher. I didn't have a counseling session. Somebody began to whisper in my ear, and I here's where the fear was. I was afraid that if I did not, you all right? Just Jesus. He's just talking to us. 
He'll talk it sometimes real loud. Sometimes he just causes static. It's cool. That's what happens in my head all the time, sweetie. So I'm normal. I'm, I'm used to it. But I went home with this fear. I didn't want to lose what I had just received. I didn't want to lose it. And there might have been something that would, I just asked God to forgive me of, that would cause him to leave. That's how young and that's how I was just, I was just afraid of it. So here's what happened. I went and did all this stuff. My bride came and she came home. And I'm literally, back then, these weren't these little TVs. Back then I had a 35 inch that you needed a crane and a moving truck to come and get. I couldn't pick it up. So I'm rolling it, literally rolling it out of my house. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing, I'm dumping alcohol, flushing drugs. I mean, it's just crazy. And I go and I look at the cable that's coming out of the wall. I call our cable company. I'm like, listen, I know it's 1030, but come and get your box out of my house. And they're like, we'll send somebody over tomorrow. I'm like, I want it off my property. And they're like, sir, listen, if you, if it's damaged, you're going to have to pay for it. I said, it's going to be in the gutter. It's not going to be on my house. And I was that desperate. Call me young, call me dumb, call me overexcited, overzealous, whatever. I just didn't want to lose what Jesus did. So all of a sudden, I see the wire sticking out of the wall, and I'm like, I got to get it out of my house. And no lie, I am pull I'm an electrician by trade. I'm a journeyman electrician. I start pulling the cable wire out of the wire, breaking drywall. And my bride looks at me, and she's like, he's lost it. She calls her brother, who's a youth pastor, and says, Jamie's lost it. He's destroying our house. He's literally throwing things outside. My brother-in-law comes over. By the time he gets there, it's about 12 o'clock at night. He walks in, and he's like, what's going on? I'm like, bro, you've got to help me. This is the stuff I'm just getting rid of. God's told me. I don't want to lose what God's done. He said, I had a feeling. And he said, if you really don't want to lose what God's done, I'll pick you up at 430 in the morning. I said, 430 in the morning? What happens at 430 in the morning? He said, we have prayer at 5. I'm like, God's up that early? <laughs> like, I went to church, and I'm, we're driving there. I still remember the conversation. I'm driving there, and I'm like, so how long's prayer last? Like 20 minutes, and he's like, two hours. I'm like, like two hours? I walked into that church. Have you ever been to church, like a church, when it's dark? Like, not at night inside it's cold and it's scary you hear noises I'm telling you you hear things there was about eight of us and so I go as close to the altar because I'm hearing things I'm like it's, it's like 16 degrees in this building and I'm sitting at the front and I'm just praying and I'm like I'm just gonna lay down at the altar I lay down at that altar and I just began to cry out to Jesus and I prayed everything I knew to pray and all of a sudden, I got up, and I'm like, man, that had to be like an hour and a half. I get up, and I look at my watch, and it had been seven minutes. And I'm like, I got an hour and 53 minutes left. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I said, you know what? I don't even know how to pray. And so I started watching some, some saints, and I said, man, that guy knows how to pray. And I just went and sat next to him and just listened to him pray. And then I did that for over a year. I went to prayer every day from 5 to 7 o'clock. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'd go to church on, at 5 o'clock on Sunday, go home to take a shower just to go back 
But I was hungry, church. I don't know why. Now, it's what, what it took for me. It's not required by anyone else. But can I tell you, when I, when, I, when I fell in love with God, I fell in love with the things of God. Now, here's the crazy thing. I started falling in love with prayer. I started falling in love with God's word. I couldn't get enough. I would listen to the word of God literally on audio Bible. I don't know if you've ever heard it back then. It was tapes. And so it would play, and then all of a sudden, it would rewind itself in the middle of the night, and it would wake us up, and then it would play again. And it would, they, they didn't have, like, cool soundtracks. It was like, it was like the, the enactment, and they would have, like, these voices, like, Thus saith God. I listened to it. I could not get enough of it. But something changed inside of me. One particular day, I went down to the altar and I just began to tremble. I mean, just tremble. I mean, when I say tremble, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody get electrocuted. I looked like I was getting electrocuted. And God just began to just shake me. Every time I'd get into his presence, I would just begin to shake violently. My pastor came up to me after a few weeks and he says, Jamie, he says, listen, I, I know what God's doing is real in you. He says, but I'm going to have to either ask you to stop or I'm going to have to ask you to go to the prayer room because other people, it's distracting them. So, you know what's crazy? I didn't get offended. I didn't quit church. I didn't stop tithing. I went to the prayer room. My mind was, I didn't want to offend anybody, and I didn't want to stop anybody from getting to God, but I wasn't about to stop it, right? So I'd go into the prayer room. I'd just be praying. I'd turn on the speaker. I'd listen as part of the service. One guy, who was a dear friend of ours, came up to my, my sister-in-law and said, what happened to Jamie? Did he get electrocuted? And she said, no, it's God. And he said, that's not God. There's no way that that's God. Now, let me explain something. I still don't know why it happened. But one day I asked God, I said, God, what is this? And the only description and picture that came to my mind was like a rug that was being shaken out. God was doing something in me. A guy, I was at the altar one day and the shaking came and went as, 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 as soon as it came it, it left and I, I missed it but I was like God whatever you just keep doing what you're doing and I was radical in a worship and this, this guy came up to me and he said Jamie he says you know what you need to, you need to settle down you're, you're just you're too loud you're too obnoxious in church and you need to stop and I'm going to tell you something rose up inside of me and I said, you know that I sat on the pews of this church, an alcoholic and a drug addict for years, suicidal and depressed, and not one time did you ever walk up to me and say, you need to stop. But all of a sudden, what I'm doing when I'm worshiping, when I miss church, you never called me and told me I needed to stop. When I was walking away from the Lord, you never told me and come and stop. I said, but I'm here all the time, and now you're telling me I'm worshiping God too loud? I said, I'm not going to stop. I said, because if I stop, there's only one way it's going to stop, and that is falling away from God. And falling away from God is not an option. 
Can I tell you something, church, that I believe that God, when we encounter God, it affects people differently. I don't want everybody to have the same encounter that I had. I just want them to have an encounter with God. Whatever it looks like, whatever it feels like, whatever it sounds like. Some people are loud. Some people are quiet. Some people come to an altar and scream. Some people come to an altar and weep. weep. Some people stand. Some people kneel. Some people lay down. I don't know what it's supposed to look like. I just want it to be real. The disciples, they're trying to tell this story as it has impacted them. See, there are many people even today who have been around Jesus and the things of Jesus and still don't know who he is. See, our text is found in a very intense time. There is an overwhelming heaviness approaching. Emotions are on a high. Weariness is set in. And so much to do. So many needs. So many services. So many hurting people. And so little time. Jesus understood the urgency of the hour for this event. And for which was six months. Do you know when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? It was exactly six months before he was crucified. He knew it was coming. And he knew his disciples. He needed his disciples to know who he was. See, so Jesus asked them, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? What are people saying about me? Who do they say I am? So you have to be careful about relying on who others say or what others say because they could be wrong. Too often we rely on what they say. Too often, church, and I'm just going to be honest here, too often we rely on what our preacher says. Too often we rely on what God spoke to our preachers to give us. But when was the last time you got into God's Word and God spoke directly to you? It wasn't a preacher that told me I needed to stop drinking or stop doing alcohol or stop stop doing drugs. It was the Holy Spirit from that encounter. And the reason I've never worried, it, it don't matter if it's okay for somebody else. It's not okay for me. No matter what, you can call me legalistic. You can call, call me that, that, that I'm Old Testament. You can call me whatever you want. Can I tell you, it was destroying me. Why would I allow it to come back into my life? It wasn't man that okayed it. It wasn't man that told me I couldn't do it. It was God who told me. And because of that encounter, it's changed me. And so we have to get to this point, church, where we begin to hear God. Yes, we need Pastor Brad to get a word from God when he comes and delivers it to a congregation. We need his leadership. We need that word provoked in, from God through him to us. But we need God to speak to us too. If the only time that you're getting into the word of God is when somebody says, open up your Bibles, it's not enough. If the only time that you're looking at the word of God is on a screen, it's not enough. See, the disciples are here. Watch this. And Jesus says, who do people say that I am? See, Jesus isn't trying. You have to understand this. When God asks a question, it's not because he's trying to get information. He already knows the answer. He wants you to come to the conclusion of the answer you're about to say. Adam, Adam, where are you? God knew Adam where God or Adam was. God knew that Adam was hiding. God knew that Adam had done something. He wanted Adam to understand it. He wanted Adam to expose it. He said, Adam, Adam, where are you? He said, I'm hiding. Well, why are you hiding? 
God wasn't asking to get information from the disciples. He was wanting them to expose their truth. See, have you ever stopped and asked yourself, what do I believe and why do I believe it? What do I believe and why do I believe it? You can't say because that's what my mom believed and that's because what my dad believed or that's what we believe or that's as a denomination or as a fellowship what we believe. That's what my pastor believes. So why do I believe this? So many times we have embraced our doctrine based on what others have said or what we have heard preached or more commonly today, what we've heard sung in a song. Right? I... I, again, I'm, I just, I'm a visual thinker. You know that song, Oh How He Loves Us, right? You know that one? I think it's John Michael. And he says that he came down like a sloppy wet kiss. You ever heard, what's that mean? Like I don't see God coming down and going. <laughs> what does that mean? But when you find out the man who wrote it, and what he was walking through, it makes a lot more sense. Like, it's the, the song, It Is Well With My Soul, to a normal, average person that's just singing it, it means nothing. But when you understand the person who wrote it, who had just lost his entire family, or his daughters that had drowned, and he's on the boat, on a boat right directly over where his children had just perished and he's singing, it is well with my soul and he's talking about the waves. Can I tell you, to him, it makes sense. It's not doctrine. It's not something that has got to make sense to all of us. Can I tell you, when we begin to encounter God, we're going to have these revelations and it's going to be truth, but it also has to line up with God's word. So, so let's dig a little deeper. See, yes, it might be truth, but it not, might not be our truth, or we, have, we may have embraced someone else's truth as our own. See, if it's his truth, we must seek him for the revelation and the understanding. Open our minds so that we can understand the scripture. You know what's crazy is the disciples walked with Jesus for three and a half years and they believed his word, but they didn't understand his word until he opened up their mind to understand the word. Have you ever read a scripture, and as you're reading it, all of a sudden you're like, Wow, that makes sense. See, there was a lot of talk of who Jesus was in those days. The blind saw Jesus as the son of David. The unclean saw Jesus as, un as touchable. The children saw Jesus as approachable. The people saw Jesus as inspiring. The desperate saw Jesus as hope. The hurting saw Jesus as healing. The hungry saw Jesus as provider. The lonely saw Jesus as friend. But we've got to be cautious to not base our understanding of who Jesus is solely on what others say because we, if we do, we find ourselves with where the disciples were and it says this, and this is why. The studied religious people that should have known better, they they proclaimed Jesus as an imposter and, a manip and was manipulated by demons. See, the ones that should have known better truthfully were blinded by their knowledge. Sometimes what we, what we know can, can stop what God wants to do. Here's what I mean. Flip with me to Mark chapter 6. And this is all going in a direction where we're going to encounter the Holy Spirit tonight in these altars. Mark chapter 6, 
verses 1 through 5. It says Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogues and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, and Jesus said to him, A prophet is only without honor except in his own hometown, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not, watch these words, he could not do any. I want you to hear these words. This isn't Jamie's opinion. This isn't me just trying to, 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 provide, to, to provoke a thought. It says, and he was not able to do any miracles. Watch this. And he was not able to do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Did you know that in God's eyes, laying his hands on a sick person is not a miracle? According to the word of God, it says he was not able to do any miracles, but he laid hands on the sick people and they recovered. So in God's eyes, that wasn't a miracle. That is ability. I can heal the sick. Why? Because I can make a body out of dirt. That was normal for God. That wasn't a miracle. The miracles that he was wanting to do there was to bring revelation of who he was to the people that he was from. But because of their knowledge, this is Jesus. This is the one who lived down the street. I've known Jesus since he was little. I, I, I was raised around Jesus. And because of their knowledge, it blinded them from what God was wanting to do and also limited God so he couldn't do it. Do you know that Jesus, everywhere he went, he wanted to do things. It was intentional to accomplish something. But what stopped God from doing anything was man's ignorance or knowledge. It was their knowledge. It says that they said, wait a second. He went to the same schools we went to. Where did he get this knowledge? He's a carpenter. The shop. I can still see his dad's shop. I, I know who his brothers are. I know his mom is not his sisters amongst us. Aren't they married to some of us? Who is this Jesus? And they limited Jesus by their knowledge. This isn't our Jesus. Jesus doesn't do these things. Jesus doesn't talk like this. Jesus fixes tables. He doesn't fix lives. Jesus, he restores furniture. He doesn't restore marriages. So you have to understand, they limited God by what they thought they knew. What do you think Jesus wanted to do in his own hometown? Let me say it this way. What do you think God wants to do in his own home church? Can I, I'm going to say a very bold statement. Do you know the greatest miracles I've ever seen? When I say miracles, the greatest outpourings of God have not happened in church. Do you know when I landed in the Des Moines airport yesterday? One of the greatest miracles I've ever seen happened in that airport. 
One of my dear friends by the name of Mark Oberbeck was preaching a convention for him. Met a guy by the name of Fred Stoker from Des Moines. Wrote a book. Wrote a few books. Met Fred. Handed me a stack of his books. I go to the Des Moines airport. Mark's dropping me off to fly back home. I set books down on, on the curb. I'm checking my baggage. And one of the baggage handlers walks up to me and he says, are those your books? And I said, they are. And he said, he said you wrote those. And I said, no. He said, I was on my way to work today, and I heard somebody on the radio talking about that exact book. And I think it was like Every Heart Restored, about marriage. And he said, I, they were talking about how God is able to restore marriages, even if they've been broken through adulterous affairs. And he said, and I was driving to work today, and I was thinking to myself, I wonder if God could restore my marriage. He said, my wife just left me because I didn't, start, I didn't do the actual deed, but I started talking to a woman. She found out about it and left me. He said, do you think that God can restore my marriage? I said, absolutely, because he restored mine. And he looked at me, and he says, well, what do I got to do? I said, you got to give your life to Jesus, man. First step. God's not going to restore something that's not his. you got to give your life to Jesus. He said, how do I do it? And I said, man, let's pray. He starts weeping. His friend walks up, and he's like, bro, what are you doing? He's like, I'm giving my life to Jesus. And he's like, dude, I want to give my life to Jesus. I lead both these guys. Mark Overbeck is taking a picture of me leading these two baggage handlers to Jesus on the curb of the Des Moines airport. I literally grab my bags, talk with them, and I, I'm walking away. I'm walking through security, getting ready to walk through security. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, go back and give them some of your CDs, some of my sermons. And I'm like, come on, God. That's just weird. That's tacky. Like, here, have some of my stuff. I had already given them the books. Lord began to impress my heart. I felt convicted. I go back to, to them and I said, hey, guys, I want to give you some of my sermons. And the guy's like, what's a sermon? And I'm like, dude, it's me preaching about Jesus. I want to make sure that you get some food in you to live this life. And he goes, well, man, we've already packed your, we've already sent your stuff back through security. He said, it's probably being x-rayed. And this was right after, like, uh, like when security was tough. So we walk back. We walk in to these back doors. And that's where all the x-ray equipment is. It's where, you know, where you, the wall eats your luggage and you don't know if you'll ever see it again. We walk back there and there is this TSA guard and his name's Sean. Never forget him. He walks up to us and he goes, what are you doing? And he was like, he needs his luggage. And he's like, why? And I said, I said, well, because there's, I want to give them something out of them. And he's like, what's in your luggage? And I said, it's, I'm a preacher. And I said, they're sermons. And he's like, what's a sermon? I'm like, does nobody know what a sermon is? I said, it's me about, it's, it's about, it's a sermon is me talking about Jesus and how he changed my life and how he changes others' lives. And he goes, well, I want that. And I said, well, man, I'll get you one. And he goes, no, I don't want your stupid CD. I want Jesus to change my life. And I'm like, bro, let's do this right now. So we prayed in, in the security area where the baggage was going through. I lay my hands on a man I've never met before. I go to lay my hands on him. He gets down on his knees and literally starts weeping. I mean weeping, this big, great, big man, weeping. All of a sudden, I start hearing all these equipment turning off, and there is a line of people standing behind him. And I look up, and I'm like, hey, what's up? And they're like, would you pray for me? I start praying for him. No lie. They are falling out under the power of God. 
I have no catchers. I have no covers. I have nothing. This is not supposed to happen here. People laid out all over the place. And all of a sudden, I see this little lady who says, TSA supervisor. And my first thought is, I'm going to jail. I'm like, this is an act of terrorism. Like, there's all the security guards on the ground. I'm looking around. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, God. Like, and she goes, where did it start? And I'm like, with, with, with him. And it was, it was the baggage handler. I'm like, he was out there at the curb. And she goes, no, where did it start in here? And I said, with Sean. It was Sean's fault. Listen, I will throw you under the bus. I will drive over you and park it on your head if it's going to get me out of trouble. And I said, it was Sean. And she starts weeping. And she goes, oh, God. She goes, I go to First Assembly of God in Des Moines. She said, I'm an intercessor. I've been praying for years that God would pour out. And she said, we've been praying that it would start with Sean. And I'm sitting there going, it wasn't about a sermon. It was about God wanting someone that was willing to go into that back room. But the greatest moves of God I've seen in airports. I've seen literally the, the, the Portland airport, 100 people standing behind me, weeping as I preach in the middle of the airport because God told me to. Can I simply say, it's nothing to good. To, here's what I mean. I may have shared this story. I got to tell you just another story. I'm honoring. Honoriness is unsharpened anointing. God's still working on me. I'm sitting on a plane. I always fly by the window. I sat some books down. Books get me in trouble. I sat some books down in the middle of the seat. Lady walks up and she goes, are those your books? I said, I said they are. She goes, well, move them. They're, they're in my seat. I said, yes, ma'am. And I said, well, my friend was going to sit there. And she goes, that's my seat. Starts screaming at me. So I put my books down and she throws herself down. I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just sat down in the middle of my friend's lap. And she looked at me and she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, my friend, and I mean, the stewardess came up and said, is, is there going to be a problem? Is everything good? And I'm like, she's going to punch me. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, my friend, you're sitting on his lap. And she looked at me, and she was like, she's like, what are you talking about? And instantly, God speaks to me, and he says, knock it off. And I'm like, like but God, I'm, you're my friend. You go everywhere with me. You're the one I'm talking about. This is my pitch on evangelism. I'm going to tell her about you. And he's like, knock it off. And he said, apologize to her and tell her I'm your friend and I want to hold her, but I ask her if I can hold her. And I'm like, I'm, God, I'm going to get punched. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get punched. I look at her, and she's screaming at me, and I said, ma'am, excuse me. Hold on one second. I said, I got to apologize. I said, I'm just playing with you. And I said, I'm sorry. She's like, don't talk to me. And I'm like, but ma'am, I'm a minister. And she's like, you're a what? How dare you? I said, my friend is Jesus. And I said, he's my traveling companion. He goes everywhere I go. And I said, and you just sat down in the midst of him. And I said, but God's telling me to apologize to you because he's wanting me to ask you a question. And I said, God wants to know if, you, if you'll let him hold you. And her eyes exploded in tears. And she said, what did you just say? I said, God wants me to ask if, you can, if he can hold you. She said, who are you talking to? I said, God. She said, I just buried my husband of over 45 years. She said, I'm a very sick woman. She said, I live here in Ohio. 
And she said, and my family is making me move to California. She said, they're making me move out of the house I've only known since I was a child. We lived in my parents' house. And she said, because I can't take care of myself and my husband who'd passed was my caretaker, they're making me move back. And she said, I've never been more afraid. She said, I'm not a godly woman, as you can tell. She said, and I don't go to church. She says, but I stood at the door. And before I opened the door, because the neighbor was in the parking lot or in the driveway to take me to the airport, she said, before I opened the door, she said, I just looked up towards the ceiling and said, God, I don't know if you can hear me. And I don't even know if you're real, but the only way I can make this is if you hold me. How do you deny that? You deny. That? I had to. I, I flew. She held my hand for two and a half hours. Got off the plane. Had to apologize to my bride and said, "Hey, listen, I've been holding hands with another lady for two and a half hours." <laughs> Told her the story, and she was like, "If you didn't hold her hand, I would have smacked you." I don't, I don't know why things happen. Just today, Pastor Brad, we left. When we left the restaurant, I turned into my hotel. And all of a sudden, something inside of me told me to go get ice for my cup. And I drove to that Casey's because they have the greatest ice in all the world. And pizza. But I drove in and I filled it up with ice and I turned around and Julia Loomis was there. Dear friends of ours. And I just looked at her and God gave me a word at that moment for her. She goes, what in the world? She said, I was just leading worship and I was at my home church. I was, I was driving back home and she said, and something told me to come in here. And I said, something told me to come in here. I just came to get ice. I, I don't know why. I, I, I don't know why. But can I tell you, when you get to know who he is, when you get to know who he is, everything begins to change. And I know i got to close this down. I've been preaching way too long, but watch this for a moment. See, they're, they're, they restricted Jesus by what they knew. See, they said, to this is Jesus. Isn't he the son of the carpenter? Isn't he from here? Isn't he like us? There's nothing special about Jesus. But where did he get this wisdom? And how is he doing these miracles? They took offense at him. Their understanding and knowledge became their limitation and their ignorance. See, they thought they knew Jesus. I know Jesus. I know, I've known Jesus for a very long time. I grew up playing with Jesus. I know his family. I know Jesus. what Jesus does. I know who Jesus is. I know how Jesus does. It. I, I don't know who this Jesus thinks that he is, but I know the real Jesus. And they were rigid in their understanding of who they thought Jesus was, and they missed the opportunity of him doing even greater things amongst them. Jesus had the ability to do more, but their abil his ability was restricted by their perspective and their human knowledge. They saw Jesus as the carpenter. They did not see Jesus as the creator of all things. They should have known Jesus, but they didn't even they didn't even after being around him for such a long time. Those that should have known more about Jesus did not. This is why Jesus is asking, who do men say that I am? Who do people say that the son of man am? Some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. 
See, they, they, they see you as a spokesman. They see you as something that there's someone greater coming. They see you as something temporary or for something lasting that's coming. They see you as one, not the one. They see you as something good for now, but there's something else out there. They still, they, they still have time to get ready. They just see you as another, not the one. Then Jesus asked them the question who, that he was really after from the very beginning but who do you say that I am? See, what is your opinion? What is your understanding? You saw me, you saw my power as I walked on water, healed the sick, fed the thousands, raised the dead, and cleansed the leopard. You heard my words as I released the Sermon on the Mount, shared the parables and explained them, taught the masses and preached them to the multitudes. You, you felt my passion for the kingdom of God in my dedication for my father's business as I had compassion on the hurting while I travailed in prayer. Who do you say that I am based on what you've seen and what you've heard and what you've felt? He was not asking a question to get information. But he was trying to bring them to this revelation. Who do you say that I am? I know who I am. I know who others say that I am, but who do you say that I am? See, who he is, or he who, he is who we allow him to be. Who do you say that I am? It's a universal question, but only few have the answer. Peter steps up as to the plate, with the, and he's emphatic. He says, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, the Savior. You are the Son of God, the same essence of God, the same equality of God. You are God. You are the Savior, and you are Lord. Because of this revelation, my life and everything in it is yours. I no longer live, but you live in and through me. So, so you, you are, so I can be. I can be different. I can be healed. I can be made free. I can be redeemed. I can be with you for eternity. That's who you are. Peter had this revelation, but watch this. Even though Peter had revelation of who Jesus was, it didn't stop him from denying him. Even though he had this understanding of who Jesus was, even though he walked with him and he was sat at tables where Jesus explained the parables, it didn't stop Peter from denying him. Why? Because knowledge is one thing. Encounter and empowerment is something else. It wasn't until Jesus said, wait a second, there's more. So many people come to church and we think that Jesus died on a cross just so that we can sing three songs, listen to a 30-minute message, and go home. Jesus said, no, there's more. There is so much more than this. And here's what I mean. I'm one person. I'm one person. And I can only do so much. Pastor Brad's one person. He can only do so much. Imagine what all of us can do together. Now, this is where it gets a little bit difficult. You ready? I always start the Gospels out the brand new year. I always read. January 1st, I start with Matthew, and I go through the Gospels. I read through the Gospels, and I usually just keep on reading, go all the way through the Bible. This particular year, the Lord speaks to me, and he said, go back and read the Gospels again. You didn't get it. And I'm like, okay. So I read the Gospels again. The Lord spoke to me. He said, you didn't get it. Go read it again. Read it a third time. After the third time, the Lord spoke to me. He says, now follow it up with Acts. So I was excited. I'm in the book of Acts. Man, there's some good. After a preacher reads the gospels three times in a row within three months, can I tell you, there's some sermons being written. I get to the book of Acts, and I'm like, this is amazing. So good. This makes such clarity, such revelation. I get done with the book of Acts, and the Lord speaks to me. He says, you didn't get it. Go back and read it all again. And I'm like, God, forgive my unbelief. I don't know what I'm supposed to get. And he said, I never told you to read Acts. I told you to follow it up with Acts. He said, the book of Acts was written because my disciples had walked with me and then they went out and did as I was doing. 
He said, the problem is everybody wants to hear about it, but they never want to go out and do it. He said, what happens, what empowers my church to go out and do it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you can go do. And he didn't say, listen, you're going to go do witnessing. He says, you're going to go become witnesses. It's who you are. I'm going to mold you and make you into this image. Can I tell you, when we have clarity of who Jesus is, now watch this. This is where it gets really cool. Jesus said, listen, he said, the only revelation that you received is not from man, but the revelation of who I am came from my father. But I, listen, I've got to go away. And if I go away, it's going to be better for you because I'm going to send you the next one that the Holy Spirit, the one who came before me. See, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. Then Jesus was on the inside of her. And then Jesus, because he was on the inside of her, made room for the Holy Spirit to come into the inside. But he first had to make, he had to pay the price so the Holy Spirit in his fullness could come. Then the Holy Spirit comes. He now dwells inside of us. It's one thing to have the Holy Spirit on us. It's another thing to have the Holy Spirit in us. See, the inside of us is what changes us to become like Jesus. It's not about talking in tongues. It's not about falling to the floor. It's not about shaking. It's about this, that if you fall to the floor, you better get up different. If you speak in tongues, then your language and how you treat each other and how you talk to each other better change. It is about something internally happening. And all of a sudden, when we begin to get to know who Jesus is, now we begin to know what Jesus was sent to do. And it wasn't just to die on a cross. It was to save all mankind. But there are still people that don't know him. It's God's desire that all men shall be saved. That today is the day of salvation, right? Then whose job is it? His? Mine. Watch this. The whole, after the fourth time I read it, the Lord says, you don't get it. I didn't tell you to read the book of Acts. I told you to follow it up with Acts. He said, now go back and read it and remember. And I want you to take special account of where every miracle occurred. That I did. And I started taking note. Do you know that Jesus healed Bartimaeus outside on a road? The woman with the issue of blood was outside. The man with the shriveled hand was in church. Here's what's crazy. For every one miracle that Jesus did in the church, he did 26 miracles in the streets. How many of you got saved in church? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. How many of you got healed in church? How many of you, God's done something radical in your life in church? Raise your hand. For every hand raised, there's 26 miracles waiting in the streets for you. Let's just say there's 100 of them. That means there's 2,600 miracles waiting in the streets. I don't know how big this city is, but can I tell you, you get 100 people that have a radical encounter with God at a church, and I'll show you a radical encounter that's about to happen in the streets, and it's not because your preacher preaches a good message. It's not because he lifts 250 pounds of pure rock. I would have done, I would have got the seventh one over, but I would have used a crane. I would have used a crane. <laughs> that's the strongest man in the world right there. I mess with him while I'm over here. Out of reach. The reality of it is, the Holy Spirit is not, and I said it this morning, is not the clown that shows up to the party to make everything fun. The Holy Spirit 
is the very essence, the spirit of God, the ruach, the breath of God that comes into the believer that begins to empower him, teach him, create within him something that he cannot do on our own. See, we keep on trying to do what God's called us to do in our own power, in our own authority. We, we can't and we will completely fail. Remember, Peter denied Jesus, but then he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then when he's tested again, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he spoke. Why? Because he's now filled with the Holy Spirit. Too many times we are trying to do something and failing and we blame everything else instead of just simply allowing ourselves to get so filled with God and so filled with the Holy Spirit. But here's the problem. We refuse to wait for it. Did you know that the Holy Spirit takes his time getting to you? This is not a drive through window where he's just going to push something out to you. This is where you come and wait for 10 days. And this is where I'm closing right here. For 10 days, 500 people started in an upper room. But on the day that the Holy Spirit showed up, it had dwindled down to 120. Who is the 121st person that could not wait any longer? That was like, man, I've been here for... And here's the crazy, they didn't know what they were waiting for. They didn't know they were going to be tongues and fire. They, did, they, they didn't know. And the proof of that was when it happened, Peter says, this is that. This is it. They had no idea what they were waiting for. But finally, they were like, maybe we've got it. I've got to go to work. Could you imagine the 121st person that says, listen, guys, I'll come back later. It's been nine and a half days. And all of a sudden walks out the door, the door closes, and all of a sudden you hear a violent wind. And he's like going, wait, 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 whoa, 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 and it's already locked. I don't want to be the one that misses it. I don't want to be the one that misses what God's going to do. And so therefore, here's my question. Who do you say the Holy Spirit is? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I have studied scripture. I have read books. I have spent time in prayer. I don't understand it. Why do we talk in a, a prayer language that we don't even know? I don't know. But can I tell you, I don't know any better words that when your child is sick or your child is hurting or your child is lost than throwing your hands up and praying in a tongue. You know what I found out? If I did know what I was saying, I would try to formulate the right words and still miss it. How many of you have ever prayed and you're trying to find the right words and you get frustrated so you just quit? Never forget I was at CBC and if we can get the worship team to come on up. I was at CBC, our Central Bible College, they've actually closed it since, but we had this girl in our school and I brought my 12 interns with me and we're showing up to this Bible school to preach on the, on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I look at my one girl and she has struggled. She came from a, a a, a doctrine and a theology where the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues was taught against. She comes to our school. She gets filled with the Holy Spirit. But she, she had this little bit of a question in her mind. Is it real? Is this real? Like, I, I just feel like I'm mumbling. She knew that what she felt was real, but she questioned herself. Well, she was at this altar. No lie. She stood there at this altar and on her knees before the service and just prayed. Well, there was this one word. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this when you prayed in tongues. You have this like one word that you say like a little more than the other words. She had this one word and she would say it all the time. And she was just praying and I could hear her praying. 
Well, I was working in the altar, and all of a sudden, I saw this young lady walk in from the back of the sanctuary. She's in Bible college. She walks in. She puts her purse down. All of a sudden, I see her. She's, like, looking around, and she's like, she walks up behind Brittany, who's kneeling at the altar, and she's listening. And all of a sudden, she starts weeping. She gets her stuff, and she runs out. I'm like, what in the world? The president of Dr. Baker comes up to me afterwards. He said, I got to tell you the story. I said, what's, what's up? He said, one of your students was at the altar praying in tongues today, evidently. And I'm thinking, okay, here we go. We're in an AG Bible school. We can't pray in tongues. Like, I'm thinking I'm going to get corrected. And he said, no, you got to hear this. I said, what's that? He said, we have a young lady from Arizona who is 100% Navajo Indian. He said, she's really been struggling. She feels like God saved her. Her grandma and her are the only people saved in her family and from her reservation. And her grandma, before she died, told her that she needed to go get equipped because God was calling her as a missionary to come back to her people to reach them. So she came out to this school. She, they've been struggling. They, the finances have been just held up. And, and we just can't figure it out. We kept her in school because we don't want her to go home. We want her to stay here. And she has just been battling just within her mind, within her emotions. Her family has turned her, their back on her. But when she walked in, she heard one of your students speaking in perfect Navajo dialect. And all of a sudden, she heard her grandma would call her this name in Navajo, which meant, oh, beautiful one. And she kept hearing as she was walking in, oh, beautiful one. Oh, beautiful one. Oh, beautiful one. And she turns and she sees this girl kneeling and she's praying, but she's speaking in perfect Navajo. And she's saying, oh, beautiful one. The word that she kept saying. And she starts praying and all of a sudden this little girl standing right behind her God begins as Brittany's praying to God God begins to speak through Brittany to this little girl and it says oh beautiful one do you not realize that I caused the oil to flow and beautiful one I have called you this day to know that I am God I will take care of you and this day I will allow the oil to flow upon you and your questions will be answered. Oh, beautiful one. Oh, beautiful one. The little girl is overwhelmed. She goes back to her seat, sees that she has a missed phone call. She grabs the phone. She goes outside, doesn't recognize it. It's a lawyer, a lawyer of an uncle who was a very successful man who had moved away from his family because he had also given his life to Jesus and the family excommunicated him. He moved to North Dakota. He got some money. He bought some land. And they had just found one of the largest reservoirs of oil on his land. And he had left the land and everything in it to his niece. And the lawyer was saying, listen, we need you to fly into North Dakota because they have found oil and they're wanting to drill and knew you are the one who now owns the land and all the resources of the oil will now be yours oh beautiful one a 
little girl went from a broke college girl confused to a very wealthy young lady because the oil was about to flow on her. I don't understand God. I have stopped trying to. But I do know this. The Holy Spirit is amazing. The Holy Spirit is creative. The Holy Spirit is gentle. The Holy Spirit is powerful. The Holy Spirit can take a broken, destroyed, depressed man like myself and put joy inside of him and put peace inside of him and give me eyes to see Jesus as he really is that's why when they sing this song oh how great is the flow that makes me white as snow it was not man that brought that revelation of who Jesus was but it was the Holy Spirit see we need the Holy Spirit church to not just come and do tricks we need the Holy Spirit not come to just fill us up so we can talk in tongues. We need the Holy Spirit so we can see Jesus as He is. And if we see Jesus as He is, then we'll go tell the world about what He can do. There's lost people outside of these walls that need Jesus. And they're praying right now. We don't understand is that we're their answered prayer. So here's what I'm going to ask all over this place. Stand up with me. I believe there's some people that have been filled with the Holy Spirit. But see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues, that's not the purpose. That's the proof. The purpose is to empower you. The purpose is is so that your, the limbs of your life drip from the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's so that every single one of you can start functioning in the giftings that God put inside of you before you were ever born. It's so that those gifts can be activated. And the only one that can activate those gifts is the Holy Spirit. It's not by sitting and being taught. It's not about being asked to volunteer. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to have complete and total access. So that ultimately we can see Jesus as who He is. And Jesus is saying today, who do you say that I am? What He's really saying is come forward, come closer. So that the Holy Spirit can tell you. It's not man, it's not flesh, it's not a book you're going to read, it's not a sermon you're going to listen to. It's going to be when the Holy Spirit begins to open up your blind eyes and begins to increase that volume to your deafened ears and your hearts are changed and your minds are, 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 are just opened. See, what happens when the Holy Spirit comes is I didn't like people until the Holy Spirit came in and all of a sudden I began to love Jesus and as because I love Jesus I began to love what he loved and he loves people all of a sudden Jesus began to restore things inside of me that no man could do who do you say that I am who, who do you say that I am I don't want you walking out of this place quoting my sermon I want you walking out of this place quoting what the Holy Spirit just told you but it's going to take you allowing the Holy Spirit complete and total access. Father, I preached what you told me to preach. I did what you told me to do. And I know I went long. God, forgive me. But I am so desperate to see your church encounter all that you have. And I don't want us to miss it because of time. I don't want us to miss it because we get in a hurry. I want every person 
to have a unique and individual encounter with you so that their lives are forever changed and their lives are, are wrecked according to this world so that they can accomplish all that you created them to accomplish. Father, would you have your way from this moment on? Here, here's what I'm going to ask. If you're in this place and you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It's not something that you have to earn or you deserve. The Bible says, ask anything in my name and you will receive whatever you have asked for in prayer. In Luke chapter 11, verse 11 through 13, it says, if you as earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children who ask, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to everyone who asks? See, the Holy Spirit is not deserved. It's not earned. It's asked for. And when you ask, for the Holy Spirit to come he comes and he begins to fill your life with all that he has he begins to take up residency inside of you but that's where you begin it starts but that's not where it ends he gives you a prayer language some prophesy some have words of wisdom some have give tongues and interpretation I don't know what gifts it's not for me to choose I just simply want to be used and be useful in whatever God wants me to be useful in and if it's available I want it so here's what we're going to do if you're in this place and number one you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence and speaking in tongues or number two it's been a long time and you've kind of just shelved Holy Spirit but tonight you want God to feel you afresh and anew. You want the Holy Spirit to come alive. You want that revelation of who He is and what He's able to do. And you want Him to feel you to overflow with. I want you to leave your seats. And I want you to come and just stand or kneel at this altar right now. All you're doing is saying, I just want that encounter with the Holy Spirit. I just want that encounter with the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it's going to sound like. I don't know what it's going to feel like. I just want more. The more that Jesus said that was coming. I want to be clothed with power from on high. I am so grateful for the forgiveness. I'm so grateful for the, the cleansing. But I want to be made whole. I want the Holy Spirit to begin to feel me right now. As you're at this altar, as you're kneeling or whether you're standing, I want you to just begin to invite the Holy Spirit to come in right now. Just say, Holy Spirit, I'm here for you. I'm here to encounter you. I'm just asking you to come and feel my life, feel my heart, feel my mind, feel my mouth. Whatever it happens, whatever it looks like, I want it right now. Come on, all over this altar whether you're in your seat you're telling me in your seat you've got it I need some I need some prayer warriors I need some tongue talking fire breathing men and women of God to come and just feel this altar right now and just begin when you get to this altar I want you to just begin to pray in that most holy gift that God's given you for you at this altar right now I want you as you're praying this God's going to get these places words in your mouth and all of a sudden these words are going to begin to they're, they're going to begin to form in your mouth you got to begin to vocalize them you got to begin to verbalize them just begin to let them out these words aren't going to sound like the person next to you it's not going to sound like anything you know you don't even know what you're saying 
But all of a sudden, you're going to get this gift. You're going to get this prayer language, and it's going to begin to flow out of you. It's not going to flow out of you just like a fountain. It's going to flow out of you like a river. It's going to flow out of you. And the first word, it's going to be your hardest, but the next words are going to begin to flood you. And as you pray these words, it's not just for this moment. It's not just for this night. It's not just for this altar. That is God's altar through the Holy Spirit for you. It's a prayer language. It's your prayer language. It's a unique prayer language. It, 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 see, you may not understand it, but God understands every word. Come on, just begin to open up your mouths and begin to speak. Holy Spirit, pour out right now. Feel every heart. Feel every life. Feel up every vessel. Feel every woman, every man. Feel them to overflow it. Feel them to overflowing. Feel them, God. If you were impacted by this sermon or if you have any questions, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Community Hope on Facebook and Instagram or at our website, communityhope.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next week. Yeah.